27 through Mark 16, verse 8. In addition to your own Bible, it, it is written on the back side of your message notes. Or if you have one of the worship Bibles, it's on, starting on page 728. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took the courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have, he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was truly, that he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the, from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was, it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he was going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And when they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God. You may be seated. You know, the decades before and after Jesus, there were dozens of messianic movements. In each case, the leader was killed and the movement was squelched. End of story. That was the end of it. But there was one messianic movement which did not collapse when its leader died. In fact, the opposite happened. That movement experienced explosive growth. Why? Why, among all the various movements that happened in that, that time, did this one movement survive the death of its leader? Why did that happen and how did that There's one, one reason why. The three simple words which have changed the world were these words, he has risen. It's right in this text which Cheryl read for you. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning was the thunderclap, which literally changed the world. Everything changed that day, that Easter Sunday morning. Consider, when Jesus was killed in, the, in 30 AD, he had a handful of followers, most of whom had abandoned him. Now, in every other situation, that would have been the end of it. That would have been the end of the story. But in fact, the exact opposite happened. 
Almost immediately, his followers began to claim that, much to their shock and initial surprise, the death of Jesus had been central to God's plan. The death of Jesus was part of what God was doing all along. And that proof of this was the fact that he had been raised miraculously from the dead to a new and unending life. And that with this resurrection, God's future world had broken in upon the present. So that anyone who trusted in him would find new life growing in them. A life of forgiveness for their past. A life of hope for their future. And a life of purpose for day-to-day -day life. In short, new creation happened on Easter Sunday morning. And that new creation created a new creation community who went about spreading the word and the good news about this creation, of this new creation. And in fact, one of the verses of the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. And so communities loyal to Jesus and believing in his death and resurrection sprouted up all over the Roman Empire, starting there in Jerusalem, but moving out towards the west until within 20 years, it was even meeting there under the nose of, of, of Rome. Uh, or those of Caesar, Caesar in Rome. And by 53 AD, for example, a thriving church was born in the city of Corinth. And Paul, who helped found that church, wrote these words, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, uh, not on Thursday, on the third day, <laughs> I know, you thought, what? <laughs> On the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. This is only 20 to 23 years after Jesus was mercilessly killed on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And he's writing to a church of believers, saying to you, I received something, which means he, was, he received it before 53 AD. I delivered it to you as of primary, of first importance, that Christ died, was buried, was raised, and appeared. This was part of the charisma, the proclamation, the preaching of the church from the very, very first days. It's not a late legend that came up. Sometimes you'll, you'll maybe watch a television show or read a blog or something. People say stupid things like, this didn't arrive. The, the, the belief in Jesus' resurrection didn't occur until many generations. Balderdash. There's no evidence to support that. This, everybody believes that this letter by Paul was written in the 50s AD. And in the 50s AD, he's already telling you about something which he had received, which means he's saying, this is part of our established dogma, our established teaching, that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and appeared. He says, I received it, I told it to you, and this has happened in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, in accordance with what the whole Old Testament story. We didn't know it, but this was a climax towards which the Old Testament was pointing. This was where God was going when he called Abraham, when he called Moses, when he 
called David to be his king. This is where God was doing when he allowed the people to go into exile because of the disobedience. This is where God was doing. He brought them back from the land. This was what God was always doing. He was leading toward the time when God would come in the person of Jesus and Jesus would, would, would bring the kingdom of God, go and die into the way to the world's sin and be raised up from the dead. This is what happened in accordance with the scriptures. I delivered it because I received it and I told it to you right from the very beginning. By this time, of course, the message had already gone into Rome itself. And what's more, within just a few generations, the entire landscape of Western civilization was shaped by the story of the resurrected Jesus. So that here, even in our modern, postmodern technological age, gathered around the world today, on every hour of this day, people are gathering around the world to worship the reality of a resurrected Jesus. It's an incredible success story, but can it, believe, can it really be believed in today's contemporary culture? Really? A man went through death into a new kind of bodily existence? Can this really be true? Were they misguided? Did they just imagine it to be so? Can it be true? According to that same letter I was just referring to, it's called the letter of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, after talking to you about this as being of first importance, the tradition that he had received about the, uh, the, burial, the death, burial, uh, 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 resurrection, and appearances of Jesus, he says in the remainder of that chapter that Christianity literally rises or falls on the assertion of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So the stakes are very high. Either Jesus was not bodily raised from the dead, making him and the story of him simply a hoax, wishful thinking, nothing, no real hope, or Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. And if that's really true, it utterly changes the world. It means that death does not mean the end for us even, that there is something beyond the grave, and it's not merely wishful thinking. Everything rises or falls on that, and if it's true, it changes everything. It means that his death brought about forgiveness for our past. And, and, and it wasn't just a, 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 a martyrdom. It wasn't just a, a sacrifice of love. But that his death conquered death itself, conquered sin itself, conquered evil. Because on that cross that day, all of sin, all of death, all of evil was piled upon the Son of God. And he died under its weight. But death was not the end, if the resurrection is true. And therefore, death is not the end. There is something stronger than death. It is the death of death that happened by the death of the Son of God. Why? Because he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. So my sins are forgiven by his death. Because he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do on that cross. And he was raised from the dead. And also, the hope of life beyond the grave is not merely pie in the sky thinking, but is founded on the fact that there was a man who lived who survived his own death, who went on to have a new body on the other side of it, and who said, come unto me, all you who are weary and are laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, this Jesus. The resurrection is everything for the Christian. Now, the, and it's an audacious claim and uh, we tend to think that maybe they were just superstitious back then and they just believed anything. And that's really disrespectful of the past. 
people have always known that people who are dead stay dead. They've always known that. In fact, they experience death more than what you and I do. We pretend it doesn't happen, right? We don't like to see people die. We don't see anything but die. We want all the evidence of sickness taken away from us, right? We don't, we don't, all of that. They lived in the midst of that all the time. They knew what happened. They knew what happened. They saw it. They had experienced it. They knew death was the end every time they ever saw it. But here they saw something different. Death was not when. And so as Mark closes this, uh, this gospel, which we've been taking a look at in whirlwind fashion over the last several weeks, he closes by giving in clue form as he talks about this story, the evidence of the very things that Paul said, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead, and that he appeared, those four things. Mark begins to give, the Gospels give us evidence of that in Mark in particular as he closes out his story about Jesus, the king who showed his kingship by dying on a cross, the king on the cross, this Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. So as the book closes, he takes time to affirm the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus, the appearances of Jesus, and the transformation of life by Jesus. So let's take a quick look at some of those things as we think about this text today. <clears throat> John, uh, Mark takes time to verify all the details of this story. Now Mark's gospel, as all the gospels, were written later in the book of 1 Corinthians, but they re represent the earliest truths about Jesus. Mark's gospel was considered to be the first of the gospels written, probably written in the mid, in the mid to late 60s AD. As Mark began to uh, collate the stories, the oral tradition which had been circulating around Jesus. And so he tells these stories about Jesus' life. And the first thing he wants us to see, if you're taking notes, is the death of Jesus really happened. The death of Jesus really happened. Notice what he says in the 30, uh, 37th verse of, of uh, and following of, uh, of Mark 15. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, he was the guy overseeing the crucifixion, he was the guy who did this as a way of life all the time, he saw it happen all the time, and when the centurion stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And going on to verse 44 of that same text, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have died already. And summoning the centurion, that same one, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Jesus. Do you see? Now quit, quit just assuming you've heard all this before. Notice the words dead and corpse. And the centurion in the midst of that. He, was he dead? He was dead. He was already dead. He gave him the corpse. Mark is making it clear through the economy of his words that Jesus just didn't seem to be dead. But that people who were professional executioners knew he was dead. Yes, he had died more rapidly than they expected, but they were assured of his death and the death and his corpse was then given. So the death of Jesus Christ was certified by the soldiers and by Pilate and by Joseph, the man who carried his dead body and began to wrap it in its burial shroud. Jesus really was dead. That's important to note because even today, there are books that you've read that would suggest that, well, maybe he didn't really die. Some of you may have heard of this swoon theory. He passed out. They thought he was dead. They took him down. They put him in the grave. Somehow he revived himself in the grave. Somehow he skipped out. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could show you books in my library that teach this. The Gospel of Mark makes it clear in the earliest of traditions, no, Jesus was not just mostly dead, <laughs> like Princess Bride. So you remember, mostly dead. Good movie, huh? Yeah. He was literally, utterly lifeless. Lifeless. The death of Jesus, Jesus was truly dead. He also wants us to see that the burial of Jesus, Jesus was buried in a grave. Now you'll see why this is important. Jesus was buried in a grave, or we might say, in a cave where he was buried. But he had an actual burial. Now it was quite common in those days for crucified criminals. I mean, it was a, there's only so much time it, uh, uh, to, to talk about all these things, but crucifixion was the most disgusting and humiliating and awful form of death humanity has ever created. In fact, in polite society, you wouldn't even mention the word cross or cross. No Roman citizens were allowed to be crucified. It was merely for rebels and for slaves. It was meant to be cruel. And usually people would hang up there and they would expire. Sometimes it would take days. For, I don't want to be gross, but birds would pick at them. Often they just hung up there. And very, most typically they just were thrown into mass graves. You're just whatever. Somebody, you. That was often done. So the, the, the writer of the gospel and the New Testament the scriptures here want us to see that Jesus was buried. He was buried in a grave. See, what had happened was Jesus had died about 3 o'clock on Good Friday. On Friday, they didn't call it Good Friday. And if you were, in those days, the Sabbath began. It was a very holy day. Still is, of course, in Jewish culture. And the Sabbath would begin at sunset on Friday. Sabbaths go from sunset to sunset. Days start the evening before. And so it's about 3 o'clock. And so I'll figure about 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7, it's going to be dark. And you can't do any work. So Joseph of Arimathea, as Mark tells it, is a respected a Pharisee, a respected member of the Sanhedrin. He is one of those people who was part of the whole process and uh, and was against what was going on, and he wanted to take care of Jesus. And so because this was a high holy Sabbath, the Passover, and because it was against Jewish law to hang a body over the Sabbath, it was against their law, it was important to get him down from the grave before sunset, before sunset came. And so it says in verse 42, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He was taking a big risk. Remember, his own disciples had vanished, and here he comes as a member of the Sanhedrin, and he goes to Pilate, because of the position, he's able to have an audience with Pilate, he says, I would like to take the body and to prepare it for, for a burial, which in, case, which in fact he did. And so it says, uh, and Joseph, uh, he, granted, he granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. We discover from another text that this was Joseph's own tomb for himself and for his family, but no one had ever, been, had ever used a brand new tomb. And it says, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Jesus was buried in a grave. There was a place you could go look to find his body. There was
wasn't just a mass grave somewhere where he just claimed he was dead. No, there was an actual place where his body had been. Why is this important? Well, you know people went back to that place. As soon as the story started to emerge, people went back there. There was a place they could go to. He was buried in the ground, and that's why it's important. Oh, yes, he had a place. The body was gone from a literal, actual place. Yes, Jesus was buried in the ground. Yes, the tomb, Jesus was buried in a grave, and it's certified by Joseph. And I am thinking about those words. We read the scriptures too fast sometimes. Joseph bought a linen shroud. I mean, here he's seeing this man. And he buys the linen shroud. He takes him down. He wraps him in the linen shroud. He lays him, lays him in the tomb. Consider the, the love in all of that. Joseph is making himself unclean for the Sabbath by handling a dead body on the day before. He's giving that act of love to Jesus. Yes. Um, and so it's certified by Joseph. But then also you see the women. And, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, there's something interesting. You probably didn't notice it. But Mark, three times in the text we read for you, refers to these ladies. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, and then one time Salome as well. It's found in there three times. Um, verse 40. There were women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When they, while he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. First, first mention of these people. And then a few verses later, the ones I just read for you, when he's buried, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Why does Mark mention that they were there and they saw where he was laid? Because they came back. And some people claim to say, those women, they never know directions. They went to the wrong tomb. He was buried, they just never got to the right spot. Never went to the wrong spot. You've got to explain from a historical perspective why was that tomb empty? That's what this is about. Why was that? No, he said, no, they were there. They saw it, and the third time is, right after that, chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene married Mother James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Three times which from a literary standpoint is profound, Mark is giving to us a couple of things. He's giving us evidence about these women and themselves as witnesses. This is only 25, this was written probably only 25 years, 20, 25 years or so after. Those ladies were very likely still alive. You could go ask them. In fact, when you, and Mark is, 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 is famous for this in the other gospels as well, they didn't have footnotes, they didn't have documentation, but what they would do when they're writing stories like this, they would put the names of certain pe people. Why are some blind men named who are healed and some not? Why is Bartimaeus named in the Gospel of Mark, blind Bartimaeus? Because he was his witness, he was his source. Everybody who read it back then would have known that that's his source. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of uh, 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 Joseph and Salome, these were his sources and the implications, if you don't believe me, go ask them. See, that's how important all of this is. He mentions it three times because the burial of Jesus is buried in a cave. But then, uh, and then, but then let's go on to the third thing, the empty tomb. As I mentioned already, Jesus' tomb was empty, empty. So the ladies get up early in the morning. I read something this week. 
There, don't, you notice that there's no disciple that show up at the tomb, right? In fact, there's no men that show up at the tomb. So if you really want to celebrate Easter sunrise, you should never allow the men to go to sunrise service. It should just be ladies only. Because it was only the ladies who came in the morning. They always, ladies always tend to deal with the men neglected to do, right? The, the, did that come out wrong? <laughs> the disciples heard him tell that he was going to be raised from the dead. They didn't even bother to show up on Sunday morning. Now, in fairness, the ladies weren't coming to look for a resurrected Jesus either. What were they looking for? They were looking for a dead Jesus. They wanted to finish the preparations for his burial. See, typically, in those days, what you would do, you would anoint the body, you would carefully, careful, because in the Jewish tradition, as in the Christian today, tradition today, there's a great respect for the body. Right? Because the Jewish tradition believed that we were body, soul, and spirit. We weren't just a spirit inhabiting a body for people. No, we were embodied people. So they had respect for the body. That's why they didn't burn their dead. That's why they ate their dead. That's why they buried their dead. And what they would typically do, they'd put the body into a cave, and they, 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 would, they would allow it to decompose in the cave. Okay, And after a year or two, they would wrap it up, put spices on it, uh, not so much to preserve it, but to keep it from being quite so malodorous, let's say. Um, and then after the decay had happened, they would come, they would drown the bones, after years had gone by, and they'd put it into an ossuary. There was actually, burial was a two-step process for the Jews. So they went back on Sunday morning to complete the task of preparation for his burial because the Sabbath had come too soon, the sun was getting ready to go down, they could do no more work, they came back on Sunday morning. And so these women show up, and they're saying, uh, they're saying, how are we going to get that stone moved? Well, Mark has already told us that they've been there, and now they're going in the morning. And then they see that the stone is rolled back. Entering the tomb, they see a young man on the right side, dressed in a white robe. He's not identified as an angel in this text, but uh, the implication is that he is, and other, other gospel accounts mention him as an angel. Uh, the, uh, uh, they're on the, uh, uh, and he says, do not be alarmed. Oh, wait, wait. They, they saw the young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. That's an indication of his being an angel in a lot of ways. And they were alarmed. This is a, a marked word that doesn't get used. It says they were terrified. I mean, imagine. You walk into the, first of all, the stone's open. You walk in, and there's an angel in glorious brightness. You can only describe it as a white robe. It says, don't be afraid. Like, it's too late. I'm already terrified. <laughs> don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Tombs often had a kind of two-stage part. They had open entryway, and they would have caves back behind, because more than one body was often buried in a single tomb. So he would have been buried on the shelf back at the back of the go and look, he is not here. Yes. And he says, but go tell his disciples that he's going to be afforded to Galilee. You'll see him just as he told you. The tomb of Jesus was empty. These women saw it, and you know good and well. Others came to it. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that right away when they left, Peter came and looked, and John came and looked. Others certainly came in and looked. These, people, these women oh, were glad they came. They weren't looking for resurrection. They were looking for death. And often I think of that when I'm doing a, a funeral service for people. I'm thinking, you know, we come to a place of death, and sometimes we think it's just a place of death. But for the Christian, the place of death is a place of hope. 
It's a place of resurrection. Death does not have the last word. And then we see that finally he says, go tell Peter, uh, go tell disciples and Peter. So we have the implication of the appearances of Jesus. And so Mark doesn't tell us much about this, except to allude to it. But later on, we see they went to, talk, went to tell the disciples and Peter. And as we see it kind of developing, we see, we see that, they're, uh, that Jesus shows up and he appears to Peter and to the disciples. And he talks, and this is found in Luke chapter 24 and verse 34 and following. He says, why do doubts and fears arise in your house? See my hand and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still believed for joy, unbelievable joy, and saying, and were marveling, he said, have you anything to eat? I'm hungry. Speaking of which, breakfast is coming up soon for you and me, right? And they gave him a piece of fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Why is all this said? He was seen and he was not a ghost. He had a different body, yes, but it was a real body, a body that could eat, a body that still had this evidence of his scars beforehand. Yes, we see that he was not just, the tomb was not just empty, but the, the, the crucified Jesus was seen and the other gospels and the book of uh, Acts and different ones tell us about the various appearances of Jesus Christ. We're not going to talk about that now because there's one more thing that I want you to notice in this story before we close out our time together and that is that the resurrection of Jesus transforms our lives. Transforms our lives. I love what it says here at the end. It says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, if you're thinking about this, why would you say and Peter? Wasn't Peter one of the disciples? Why? Does he say, go tell the disciples and Peter? Now, some of you think you know, and you're probably right. Because you remember the last time we met Peter, what, what was the last thing in Mark when we last met Peter? He's absent by the side of the cross. He's absent on Easter Sunday morning, but where was he? He was in the courtyard of the priest on late, late Thursday night. And he, who had promised to be by Jesus no matter what, had been the one who denied that he ever knew him. He had abandoned him in the worst imaginable way. This is why it says, go tell his disciples, and don't forget about Peter. See the forgiveness in all of that? You see the fact that none of us have sinned so bad that the resurrection doesn't change our lives too. None of us have hated God so much that the resurrection doesn't welcome us. None of us have been so uh, ignored God so much in our lives that God ignores us. God is always reaching out to us. And so we see that Jesus made special pains to appear to Peter. You can read that story in, in John chapter 21 if you like to as well. Yes, Jesus has been transforming lives from the beginning of time, from the day of the resurrection. It says, go get Peter, or go get the disciples and get Peter. So if you're here today and you showed up at this place, please know that the resurrection isn't just for the good guys, for the people on the inside. The resurrection is for everyone, for Peter and yes, for Mary Magdalene, because some of you also will know that Mary Magdalene, who was the very first witness, oh, there's so much I'd love to say, 
The fact that women are in this story lets you know they didn't make up this story. Because you would not make up a story where women are the first ones. You just wouldn't do it. It may seem weird to you, but women's testimony was not even admissible in court. The only reason it's here is because that's what happened. But Mary Magdalene was one whose life had already been transformed by Jesus. She was a woman out of whom seven demons had been cast. And so she followed Jesus everywhere. So maybe you're like Peter, who's blasphemed against Jesus, ignored Jesus, denied Jesus, let him down. And you think the resurrection is not for you, it is for you. Or maybe you're like Mary of Magdala, whose life is a, a, a wreck, who's torn, you know, been disheveled in your life. She's had seven demons. Who, what is it, mental illness? What is it? We don't know what it is, except that she was probably someone who lived in the streets, and she was transformed by Jesus. Yeah. Jesus comes to bring uh, people back to him. His resurrection is for everyone. So as we close our time together, let us celebrate Jesus and his resurrection and help us to know, let us know that his resurrection is for us. Let's have prayer while we close our time. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful resurrection day. Thank you for the evidence in scripture. It was as unbelievable then as it is now, and yet it's true. Thank you that you've given your life for us. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you as we celebrate you today. We take the bread and the cup in remembrance of your death and his faith. Your resurrection. Bless